0: Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick. Great to be back on the mic with you guys. I know you're getting these podcasts every couple weeks, but it's probably been uh, well over a month since I've actually recorded one. So uh, I've been crazy busy. Lots of coyotes have been dying. I actually hit my 300 coyote of the season um, here just yesterday. So that's exciting. The earliest in the season I've ever hit that number. So uh, just, just love it, man. Progression, just uh, trying to push that bar as much as I can every season. Um, but if you ask my wife, it's probably because I've been hunting more than ever too, <laughs> but, uh, no, great to be back on with you guys. Um, you know, got a great podcast for you. Got a good buddy of mine, Dustin Patterson, uh, is going to be on this one. You know, we were down in Arizona back in December filming for upcoming episodes of the last stand, which should be out right now. By the time you're listening to this, uh, those will be on uh, the lucky duck YouTube channel. So you can catch those, uh, and see, uh, a little bit of our success and struggles while we were down in Arizona. But uh, we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to get into contest coyote hunting. Uh, you know, over the over the course of this podcast series, we've touched on contest hunting here and there, but we've never really went into some details and stuff. and And I think uh, you know, in certain parts of the country, contests are booming right now. Other parts are kind of dying down. Um, but uh, I figured it'd be great to get Dustin on there. He hunts a lot of contests, way more than I do, every season, and uh, just to kind of get his take on some things, the mentality of contest coyote hunting um and and everything that's involved with that kind of how you know what we do different what we do the same um as opposed to just a fun day of coyote hunting but yeah just we're just going to discuss basically everything all uh, contest coyote hunting so should be a good one but before i get into that need to thank the sponsors of this episode which are swagger bipods and hornady now i didn't make it out to shot show this year but i saw a little teaser post from swagger they're actually coming out with, a, with a, a night hunting tripod or day hunting tripod or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'm excited to get my hands on that. You know, as a night hunter, it seems like everybody's using some sort of tripod setup. Um, there's a bunch of different ones out there. So um, I've used a few here and there uh, as well. But, you know, now that Swagger's coming out with one, I'm sure I'm going to get my hands on one of those. So can't wait to, to see what that's like. So if you're interested in maybe seeing what they have to offer there, or even seeing this new tripod that they released at, at SHOT Show, I'm sure there's some information on their website, which is swaggerbipods.com. And then just because, Hey, I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, I'm going to hook you guys up with a little discount code. If you're looking to buy a new new set of bipods for your rifle, maybe you're looking for the 142s, which I use. Maybe you want the QD 42s, like what Rick uses and you see him using that on the last stand series. You want to pick up a, a pair of those just use promo code coyote craze 25, and that'll get you uh, 25% off your order. So, uh, you're welcome for that, uh, and and you'll hopefully you'll love it. Get, uh, get to practicing, and, man, you'll kill more coyotes. I guarantee it. And then Hornady, you know, I recorded a podcast earlier. Hopefully you've listened to it. Um, I got the guys from Hornady on. I always talk about these 53-grain VMAXs. Uh, I was always just curious as what the science was behind those, what makes them perform so much better when it comes to shooting coyotes, other than like a 50 or 55 if you're the type of guy that shoots the AR platform and you're shooting those. Um, so if you haven't listened to that, you know, back up a few episodes, listen to that podcast. Um, I think it'll sell you on those 53 grain V maxes. You know, I was actually at Cabela's the other day and they had about 20 boxes, of those on the shelf, which surprised me. It seems like everybody's, you know, as they asked me, you know, how to get a hold of them and how to find these, this ammo, because it still is, you know, in demand, but I was surprised to see it on the shelf. So hopefully you're able to find some of that ammo out there, get what you need. Um, but I'll tell you what, you know, if you're shooting an AR-15, and you know you're looking for a bullet. You've been experimenting with some bullets. Um, you know, give those 53s a try. You know, the gun I'm shooting out of that Daniel Defense MK12. It's an 18 inch barrel with a one and seven twist. And I'm tell, I'm getting sub half inch groups uh, with that round and that barrel. So uh, yeah, you're looking for something that's going to drive tax out of your AR. You know, give it a shot because I'll tell you what. You know, the terminal ballistics are are phenomenal. You're, you're not going to lose coyotes. You put bullets in the body of a coyote. They're just not not going to run off. You're going to kill them. So give that a shot but if you want more info uh on any of the the ammunition line that hornady offers offers you can go to hornady.com well dustin great to have you back on the podcast buddy yeah good to be back seems like it seems like it was just yesterday we were riding in the truck together but hell it's been damn near a month since uh our little trip to arizona
1: yeah time flies
0: <laughs> so no i think uh you know you and I've hunted contests together throughout the years. You do a lot of contest hunting on your own with, with other guys down in Kansas. Um, you know, and I've never really done a podcast specifically on contest hunting. So I thought it'd be, you know, great to get on here, you know, talk a little bit about some of our past stories, kind of how we got our start in coyote contests and, um, you know, then maybe just, you know, walk through the, the mentality, the approach that we put into contests, um, Heck, you know, who knows, even if you're not a coyote contest, contest hunter, you know, listen to this. I think it's all stuff that you can use, you know, when you're just out there, you know, hunting on a, for a fun hunt or, or whatever.
1: Yeah. Should be a good topic.
0: But before we get, get going into that, let's, let's recap this Arizona trip because, you know, our expectations are always crazy high when we go down there, you know, we've been down there. What now for five, I don't know, five, six years. I lose track.
1: Something like that.
2: Mm.
0: But, you know, we've had we've had some phenomenal years and we've had some years where it was pretty disappointing. And we're always we always leave scratching our head, you know, like maybe that's just us as coyote hunters. We're always trying to figure out why it sucked. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, you know, unfortunately on that trip, we have like a 15 hour drive home, you know. So that gives us all the time in the world to toss around theories and ideas and, and things like that. But this trip was one of those, man. We grinded. It was with what three and a half days um yeah God, i don't know what do we kill about 10 coyotes which you know you may be listening to this saying wow that's pretty good but you know normally we're you know looking maybe somewhere up in the you know 20 coyotes is kind yeah. of what we're hoping for you know
1: all our good trips have been in the 20s
0: yeah yeah but uh you know it is what it is you know we can't can't do anything about it other than go and try you know maybe one of these days we'll figure out exactly why it sucks but until then we're just left to our uh, theories and ideas.
1: It can be good every time. <laughs> well it could it could be. It, I wish it would it could be, but know? I mean <laughs> that would mean we know what we're doing. And coyote hunting would be boring if we knew everything.
0: I always wonder, you know, down there when you when you go to a place like that, you know, there's is it is it because the coyote numbers are just low, you know? Obviously the, the less coyotes there are, it's just the harder, you, you know, your chances are less of setting up where there's a coyote that's going to come to the call. But, yeah. you know, so other times I think it's, is it there's a lot of coyotes, but they may have been hunted hard. They're pressured to some extent, whatever. You just, it's one of those things. Us as coyotes, you, you never can really figure it out. You know, I don't know.
1: No. Yeah. I don't know what, there's a lot of different factors. I mean, some days they're just not doing it.
0: Yeah. And that's a big part too, you know, especially down in that country, you know, you can't see, you know, you you yeah. can't see coyotes that just don't give a shit and sit out there at, you know, five, 600 yards and, and could care less just because you can't see 50 yards, let alone 500. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's always, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just us coyote hunters and our theories is all we're left with, you know?
1: Exactly. But,
0: but you know, we did, we did see some cool stuff. You know, it, it seems like over the last couple of years, we, have We've been killing more bobcats. You know, when we first started going down there, I think in the first couple of years we only killed a bobcat or two. But then now it's kind of a regular thing. It seems like we got a little bead on them. We kind of know what to do. And uh, yeah, yeah,
1: it's like two or three every trip now.
0: And I wonder that. You know, you know, I think you and I both agree that just the coyote numbers are down in that particular region that we're hunting in. I wonder if that has something yeah. to do with it. You know, like I wonder if, I wonder if the bobcat population kind of. Sp- spikes a little bit when the coyote numbers drop i don't know I'd be i'm curious. sure it does i wonder if that's kind of why we're having luck or if we just you know figured out a little cool little you know sound sequence that works for bobcats hell i don't know i don't know you got
1: the gray fox down though
0: <laughs> sig kicking ass three there you go yeah that's the, the secret, secret gray fox sound right there yeah it's <laughs> like two for two in that area on those gray fox yep <laughs> you know those those episodes that we filmed we're filming for the last stand which you guys if you' listening to this you can find that on the lucky duck YouTube channel um they're just getting ready to drop right now as we're recording this so you know as you're by the time you listen to this they'll they should you know three couple three episodes that we we filmed will all be on the channel so you'll have to check those out but um you know we show everything you know the one thing I've always liked about the way we do the last stand is we try to show it exactly how it happens you know yeah and You know, we don't bullshit around. I mean, if we're struggling, we show it. I mean, that's part of coyote hunting. You know, if sometimes we're rolling them every, every other stand, every third stand all day long, but then there's times where it's a grind.
1: Yeah. And we don't reenact anything either.
0: Yeah. And it's, and you know, the sounds that we're killing them with or the sounds I'm playing, you know, I think a lot of people think we have this, this, I have this secret folder of sounds that Rick recorded for me that only we have, but (laughs) <laughs> i mean i'm still using the original sounds you know and and uh that that came on the original you know revolution call yeah i mean i use a few new ones that rick has but but yeah man like the same 10 or 12 sounds um it's just but you know the grind you know the the thing down there is you know we're we're coyote killers first you know filming dudes second you know what i'm saying so yeah so we're going to where if we had no cameras with us we would be doing the same stuff and mm-hmm. down there, we got to get in that thick country. I mean, that's just where the coyotes are. Yep. And hell, it's it's hard hard enough sometimes to get them killed, let alone film them getting killed.
1: Exactly.
0: And that was our yeah. struggle. That was our struggle this trip. For some reason, the grass was just higher than it had been the last couple of years, and just you wouldn't think that would make a big difference, but you know, six uh, a blade of grass that is, you know, in the last couple of years had been maybe a foot tall, and now is. 18 inches tall
1: yeah know. that's a big difference on a coyote that's only you know 20 some inches tall
0: yeah i mean that was that was tricky because i mean <laughs> i don't know how many times we coyotes just all of a sudden oh right you know right at the call yeah. and we you might see the top of its head in the grass um i don't know it it's fun but and i hope people get that when they watch that that you know we showed that that hey we're it's not always easy it's definitely not easy always filming them
1: Um, yeah but you know it's fun nonetheless killing wise it's tough enough when it's tall and thick like that and then filming just adds a whole nother i mean headache to the mess especially getting footage coming to them i mean you can get a second or two three coming to the call when it's tall but it's tough to get good footage
0: yeah and that's the key you know i tell people you know just talking with our guys that run cameras and stuff i mean that's honestly a kill shot is a kill shot yeah but a kill shot's not good if you only have the kill shot you know if you have you know if you have five or six seconds or more of footage of the coyote coming in to me that goes from like a a really really good clip to when you only get the kill shot it takes it to just an average you know clip yeah um you know but man yeah it's it's one of those things I like the challenge though I mean it is because when it does work out you're like damn that worked out cool the setup was perfect and we captured something on camera that was pretty hard to do without the camera and we did it with the camera guys sitting here you know
1: yep and then this trip they also they were coming over our shoulders like every time we're calling them in it was always never out front you know and the angles we were looking where we'd think they were going to come from. It was always over some shoulder that we didn't think they'd be coming from. And that makes it even tougher when the cameras also got a swing to turn to get on them. Just that much less footage.
0: Yeah. Well, and then too, when the coyotes are that close already they're you know, they, they see so well when they get that close that yeah. Yeah. A big black camera on a tripod swings over there. And, you know, that's usually game over. Oh yeah. But been that's, that's been the, that's kind of been the moral of our season so far is coyotes hard left and hard right. I mean, even when we we're in Wyoming, I mean, even early in South Dakota filming, uh, like, I don't know, maybe on one hand, I can count the number of coyotes that just came down what I call the shoot, like right out in the middle where we're yeah. hoping they're coming from. Very few, it seems like everything's hard left, hard right. And I guess that's just a product of, of those areas that you hunt, you know, yeah, where it's just, it's just great country all around you you're making an what an educated guess on where you think they may yeah. come from, but pff, that's all it is. You know, it's yeah. an educated guess. That,
1: it's, but, it's not even setting up wrong. I mean, we're still getting the coyotes killed. We're still setting up to where we can get them. It's just that one slight angle that they've been coming from this year is just a little bit off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, in and in normal cases, I, I like the hard left and hard right ones that are coming right to the call. Yeah. Be- because they're focused, you know, you know, your angle is perpendicular to their angle coming to the call, so they have no clue you're even there. Yeah. You know, but for filming wise, like I said, it's just uh <laughs> doesn't always yeah. turn out great. No. You know that uh the that one bobcat, that was, you know, and I don't know, I haven't watched the footage yet to see exactly what they got, but you know, the the one bobcat we had several of them sneak right in on us. We we called in three bobcats during the during the trip, yeah. and I don't know how it's going to come across on on the filming, but you know that first bobcat, probably our most wide open stand we had during yeah. that that time frame. And here comes the bobcat out in the wide open and sits down. But you have to understand when we're down in that country, we're not all sitting right together because there's these little mesquite trees and there's only room for about one guy per little mesquite tree, you know, to kind of help break up your outline. So we're kind of scattered yep. around a little bit and I'm only maybe 10 yards to the left of the Justin running the main camera. And you're kind of down off to our right, what, 30 yards with yeah. the call. And we had the secondary camera kind of over your shoulder, but you know, this Bobcat came out and sat in the wide open at like 75, 80 yards to the camera. I had, yeah. I didn't even know it was there. I couldn't see it at all. Cause I had a mesquite, bush between me and it you could barely what see it just through the top of the grass or yeah i tree. had
1: like a little six inch hole that i could see it through <laughs> in a mesquite tree to my left
0: i still think you should have sent it man
1: send it yeah i would have had to switch <laughs> over to my rifle and it was staring i was kind of actually in line with the call and it it was looking right at us but
0: but yeah this cat with this cat sat there for what three minutes i mean it Oh, we didn't yeah. have a clue it was there that was the best footage by far we got of a cat you know so then the cat turned around and leaves and we don't even fire a shot yeah. um we, i don't even know about it till we're after the stand's over you know so yeah. that sucked but then what well, like the very next stand or two stands later you know we have a, a cat come in sneaks right in behind kind of you you were down off this lip um with yeah. the shotgun on this little flat and i was up on the slope kind of covering with the rifle and and i I know this thing was so sneaky it snuck in kind of right down on the edge of the lip you know right almost behind you i didn't even yep. see it till it took off running you know the footage is really shaky i mean i got it shot running through a little gap um at, you know 50 60 yards but obviously no footage yeah um and then the next day we have a cat come in and he's coming through the and he's on a pretty good run like you know we you see him you're the first, i think you're the first one that saw him at maybe what 60 70 yards and he was on a pretty good run like
1: yeah he was coming hard
0: and then and then like like these cats do they get to like that 30 40 yard range and boom they check up and they go into stock mode and yeah. this damn cat it was pretty cool because there was this big prickly pear cactus and this damn bobcat was peeking through this little gap you know and it was shadows yeah. and you couldn't really see him and i don't know if the camera if justin even saw him or not
1: i but- i know he knew where it was and then we had the sun in our face so we're looking yep. you know sun blinding us trying to look into a shadow underneath a cactus and then just <laughs> sneaky little things <laughs> yeah that'd been awesome
0: just to break but that was still a poke i mean that cactus was probably 35 40 yards maybe i don't know yeah um, yeah your pellets wouldn't have probably went through the big old blades of cactus leaves whatever to to kill it you know you gotta hit it right in the eyeball when it was peeking yeah but once again the damn thing it saw us and it starts slinking away and you know it peeked up and all you could see was its ears through the grass and you know as good as those shotgun pellets can be you know not shooting through a bunch of grass isn't ideal you know
1: no not at those ranges (laughs) Uh,
0: but it was just another bobcat that got away so we'll get him next time
1: (laughs) yeah we'll get him
0: I don't know. We're going to have to mix it up next year. You and I were talking about that. We've been to Arizona now quite a bit. Um, You know, when we're filming for that show, it's always kind of cool going to new spots. So I don't know. Yeah. we we'll have to see maybe Oklahoma or Texas or something, something a little different next year. We'll still maybe get our new trip Mexico. in we'll get, New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to, uh, we got, uh, what, eight months, eight, nine months to get it figured out. Yeah. Before we are head back again
1: on coyote mother load. <laughs>
0: hey i after this trip i'd be happy with four or five a day
1: you know yeah (laughs) you just need that one trip every now and then it humbles you and then the next couple are usually pretty good
0: yeah for sure for sure (laughs) so let's get into this contest hunting stuff um you know usually on the pod you've been on my podcast before um we talked about our arizona trip last year um so I'm, i'm pretty sure i got your first coyote kill story but since we're we're talking about coyote contests Tell me a little bit about your first contest hunting experience.
1: Oh man, it was a long time ago. It was probably in 2005 or 2006. And I was living in Colorado at the time. And I don't even know how we got the flyer or how we learned about it. But we got a flyer for a contest actually here in Manhattan where I live now. And it was called the Kansas Predator Challenge. And me and my buddy Nick Bosley, from back home, one of my best friends, we decided to load up the truck and come out and hunt it. I don't know why i don't we just wanted to, and I think at that time we would we had started learning about contests because I think Les had his predator Quest DVDs out and he talked about the world championship, and that's when I learned about the buckle and all that kind of stuff and then Midwest was also mentioned in a few other DVDs that we had watched and We knew about Midwest, but we knew we weren't good enough. And then we heard about this other one and decided to come out. This was before they were all posted anywhere for people to see and decided to come out and hunt this one. And it was a one-day contest at the time. So we loaded up from Colorado, came all the way out here, and we ended up hunting. I think we had a a handful of stands that were private ground that we got through a buddy. And then the rest of the day was all on public and it was pretty rough. We probably should have killed six, maybe, maybe seven, but we ended up killing three. And I think we took, we actually took like seventh place, if I can (laughs) remember right, with three, but that was back, you know, before people were shooting double digits in a day for the most part. Around here, anyway.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, about about anywhere. It seems like
1: they're going up. Yeah.
0: Do they do they still have that contest, that Predator Challenge one out there?
1: No, nope. they they stopped having that one in 2012 or 2013, something like that. Gotcha. It was always pretty big. I think there's I don't, I don't remember how many teams were in it the first years we did it, but we ended up doing it every year. There might have been one or two years we took off, but it got up to like 110 teams at one point. Oh, wow. Back in the good old days, right? Yeah, the good old <laughs> days. When they stopped doing it, it still had 70 or 90 teams in it. Oh. Well, but.
0: So, you know, you, you're you probably like me. You probably said, well, you know, when after you hunted that first contest, you know, when you went to check in, do you remember what won at that very first year you ever hunted it?
1: uh i think it was five so in your mind you're like
0: damn we actually had a legit chance to win this damn thing
1: yeah exactly yeah it was like five coyotes and i think it was one of my other buddies brandon luber and i ended up getting to know him pretty good but i believe he won it that year it was it five or seven i'm pretty sure it was five but that was almost 20 years ago so who knows You know, that was about the – well, I think the first
0: contest I ever hunted, I was actually in the Marine Corps, so it had been probably in, I don't know, 2000. I I was home, you know, when you're in the service, sometimes you get like a couple weeks over Christmas if you're not, you know, overseas or something. And -hmm. I remember coming home, and there's a little town called Kimball south of where I live, and they had this little one-day contest in a bar, you know. yeah. And I remember my dad and I got in it. And at that time they actually did reps. That's, that's actually where I, you know, when I put on my contest for all those years, that's actually where I got the idea from. Yeah. Um, but they just lined up random ranchers and farmers and dudes to, to go with these teams. Huh. And uh, that first one, first one we ever got in, like I said, it was one day one. I mean, there was no, there was no videos. There was no pictures. There was no anything other than kind of your on the honor system kind of a deal. Yeah. And, and I remember, you know at that time i didn't have a whole lot of places to hunt um but we went out to a place that i'd hunted for a handful of years and and we ended up killing five that day but i remember three of them were like we only actually called in two coyotes three of them were actually walking into stands and we bumped the coyotes and they were and i had to shoot them running yeah <laughs> like we didn't even call them right so yeah uh but we went back we ended up winning the damn thing um I actually still have the shirt my mom for Christmas got my dad and I, these matching embroidered shirts that said, uh, I think good times bar coyote champions or something like that, you know, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, that that was kind of my first taste of it. Um, So yeah, you kind of, you know, I'm sure it was like you, you kind of get that little itch, that competitiveness is, is there. And you're like, wow, this is pretty fun. It's, you know, I like the extra, the added element of this contest hunting, you know, compared to just normal hunting, you know?
1: Yeah, it makes it more fun. I I've always been competitive anyway, so kind of combine two of the things I love: being competitive and hunting. So it's kind of cool.
0: When did you? Uh, what year did you start doing the Midwest?
1: Do you uh, I don't. I'd have to go look at my plaques to see, but I I believe it was the oh uh, seven oh eight maybe. so So that was
0: about the same time well was that about the same time you started hunting in my contest so let's back up a little bit i mean for people that don't know i know we've talked about this that's how actually you and i met was was i i had put on a contest here in in nebraska for 17 years it was called the coyote craze classic um and one of the first few years i started that i guess i probably started that in 04 i think or 05 right in there um and that's actually you came up and hunted the contest you and nick Baza you talked about yep uh and that's how kind of you and i met a long long time ago when you were still you know around here before you moved back to, to eastern kansas but
2: yep yeah so it was about the exactly. same time
0: probably huh? you started hunting that and midwest and
1: yep we ended up doing two or three a year and it was always the midwest years and then this kansas predator challenge one did that for three or four years just those three
0: that midwest one was always fun i i i real you know it was always the first week of january um, which was a little later but that seems like that's the norm for it's weird to me like you go to these western contests you know they all try to get them in early yeah and it seems like when you get to the midwest like nebraska kansas and in east of there like everything's texas even everything's way later like january february march
1: i think it's the deer season's I think everybody's got deer leases and deer seasons and they're worried about messing up their deer hunting. So half the ground's tied up or locked up. I think they just think that's better. Just all the deer hunters be able to hunt it.
0: Yeah. I think that's a big part. Cause yeah, in the West, all the big game seasons are usually over by October, yeah. November. I wonder yeah. if weather too, you know, a lot of that big country out West the access, you know, gets a little tricky later in the winter too. Um, I wonder if that was part of the reason over the years where they didn't try, you know, they tried to get them earlier too. just, you know, guys weren't wanting to get in the contest because they couldn't get out to where they want because of snow drifts and, you know, roads that are closed off and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Maybe the just public ground too. I mean, there's no public ground out here compared to, you know, out West and maybe that stuff just gets too blown up by then they don't want to do it because they think everybody's been all over the place already yeah that's that's
0: a good point you know that midwest was always fun i always liked how they did the. they always did a couple divisions you know they always had yeah. like what they call it the the pro division and the I don't know sportsman's what? class sportsman's Those... class yeah, yeah. The, and, and really all it was was entry fee amounts you know if you wanted to be in yeah. the pro class it was like what 300 bucks or something to get into it i don't remember yeah. But then if you wanted to be in the lower class, the sportsman class, it was only like a $60 entry fee. Yeah. Um, but I, the first few years I, you know, heck, my dad and I hunted in that. I never did ever get in the damn pro class. I was always down in the lower one, you know? Yeah. Um, and for me at the time, it was just, I, I realized early on that, you know, if you don't have, if you don't have ground that has coyotes to kill, I don't care how good you are, or how well you can shoot. You can't call in if they're not, you know what I'm saying? They're not there. You're just not going to be able to kill coyotes. So, you know, land access and the ground is is a huge part of it, you know?
2: Yep. Yeah.
1: I think they also had the Calcutta for the pro class or open or whatever they called it.
0: Yep. Yep. And back then it was always, you know, it seemed like that was always a day and a half. So you could hunt daytime only. Yeah. For for our, all day Saturday, and then you could hunt till you had to be checked in by like I don't know two o'clock, three o'clock on Sunday afternoon. So, however far you're away, you know that was how how much you could hunt, you know. And yeah, what well, was it Seemed like that was always like maybe sixteen to sixteen to twenty, you know? Was yeah. usually the numbers seems like.
1: I think I remember one year it was like fourteen. Won the pro class, sportsman's class was always like seven to nine. I think Nick and I won it with eight, but you remember that one year? I'll never forget it. That one year that, that sportsman's class team showed up with like 23.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I did. Yeah. I remember that a couple
0: old guys and, and yeah. uh, they come rolling in with this huge pile of coyotes and they were in the low, they had to one, they had to beat everybody in the whole damn tournament by six or seven coyotes. If I remember right. Oh
1: yeah. They would have won 10 grand probably. <laughs>
0: yeah. They just, they just, they just had one of those weekends i think you know like uh just we're on the right spot sound like coyotes were coming in but (laughs) yeah i do remember that that was kind of funny
1: yeah i'll never forget that (laughs) yeah the good thing about that is you
0: probably don't they probably didn't get accused of cheating that since they were in the lower class trying to win 900 bucks you know or whatever (laughs) because yeah the winner of that lower class never won much i mean it was maybe like 800 to a thousand bucks maybe um yeah winning that one
1: yeah, it didn't pay out much. I'll have to look at my envelopes. But,
0: <laughs> but that, you know, probably like you, that was really my first taste of, of a bigger size contest that had been around that, you know, they did questionnaires, you know, meaning if you were a top team, they would split up you and your partner and they had this questionnaire that each of you had to go through and to kind of help prevent cheating and things like that. Yeah. Um, obviously, as we found out later, it didn't really do anything for that. Yeah. Um, You know, there's still always people that are going to find ways to cheat, unfortunately. But, you know, but the way that they you know, the way that the contest was organized, the way that you checked in, you know, weighed the coyotes and they temp checked the coyotes. um, I don't know. That was really my first taste at at one of these. What I guess people considered, you know, a big contest, you know, or I don't I don't want to say most popular contest, but like, well, I guess people back then considered it one of the big three, honestly.
1: Yeah. It's part of the Triple Crown back then
0: you know and i don't know is that something less i've always wondered that i'd be curious did did Les come up with that term that that was the triple crown or did somebody else actually come up with that
2: i
1: don't know you, know?
0: you ever hear a story no. on that
1: no i don't know
0: yeah i don't, I don't know, know I don't who know came up with that yeah i don't know if, uh, if that was if all three of those promoters cuz it was obviously you know back then the the world championships the nationals and this midwest contest they kind of considered those the big three back in like, what do you say? Probably like the late two thousands up to maybe 2000 yeah. and well, probably until the Midwest went away, which I don't even remember what the last year was at 2016, 2017, yeah, something maybe something like in that, there. you know? So I don't yeah. know. It's, yeah. I'll be, I'm be curious. I'm going to, I'm gonna have to do a little research on that to see if that's just something that was a self-proclaimed thing or if that was a legit kind of deal. Hell, you never know,
1: you know? Yeah, that was the first contest I was ever around any heavy hitters. I think that was back when Les was still big into it, and he would always be in there. I think Les and Jeff were hunting together at that point. Yeah, yeah. And then I don't remember any of the other names, but I know there was a lot of Midwest guys that would kill a bunch in that. Quentin Wagner a couple times. I don't think he ever won it, though. But there'd be a few of them, you know, names that we know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you start meeting those guys too. You know, that was really the first time I'd been around a lot of guys, just a lot of coyote killers, you know. Yeah. And you start to, you know, for me, the coyote contest things have always been a lot about the camaraderie of it. I, yeah, I've always loved that part. You know, when you, when you show back up, you know, and you 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 see these dudes that you've only you only see him probably every year at that contest, you know yeah so it gives you a chance to bullshit and catch up and hear about how their hunt went and tell about how your hunt went you know yeah to me that's a fun that's to me that's always been a fun part of it
1: yeah yeah that midwest one was always kind of a reunion one for me too because like my other best friend matt brown was always there in that one any of the colorado buddies i had were in that i get to see you every year in that one there's just you know six seven teams of close friends that i would know in that one out of the hundred some teams that would be there and kind of a shame when it shut down because now i don't see those guys at all
2: yeah
0: it's times are changing we'll get into that in a little bit you know as far as how contests are changing because it's they're definitely they're definitely trending in a different direction you know kind of yeah to, to what we grew up you know used to yeah um hunting you know you know you and i hunted the worlds you know back what 20 we hunted what three four years in a row two years three years yeah, in a row yeah
2: three years <sighs> you know for sure.
1: might have been four
0: that was kind of one of those one things you know that that the world contest is always something that's intrigued me a little bit you know i i think there's this mystique around it just because certain individuals out there have kind of built it up to be this massive you know thing mm-hmm. um you know it, it never was i mean anybody could really enter in it you know what i'm saying like you didn't have to put in an application. You didn't have to go win any other contest to qualify for it. Um, You know, and that's really what got me, you know, into it at first was, you know, I heard all this talk about, oh, if, if you're going to be the best, you better hunt in this one. Well, after going hunting it, yeah, it was a great contest and it was fun and, and it was hunt. but at the end of the day, it's just another contest in a, another part of the country on a given weekend, you know? Yeah. I mean, ultimately that's what all these contests are. And I know as a promoter, as somebody that, that has put on a contest, um, you know, you give it some cool ass name, you know, obviously everybody wants to, you know, if you, if you name your contest, the world championships, <laughs> then what's the winner called? Yeah, you're, a world, yeah. you're the world champion, right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> you
0: know, just like if you call your contest, the national championship, well, yeah, you're the national champion, you know? Yeah. But do you remember, I think the year you won it in my contest, I there I had a little pissing match going with somebody and yeah. and I put on there that we were gonna crown the coyote calling champions of the
1: universe. Yeah, I remember that.
0: <laughs> Did you the year you won mine? Was that on your plaque? Do you remember?
1: I don't I don't think it's on the plaque. I think at that point you were just saying it. I think oh. the year after that you put it on Oh, the you
0: you could have had it, man. If you'd have won it the next year, that's like a right there that's an antique right there if you got the one that says coyote calling champion of the universe on it yeah yeah if i missed it by one year damn it (laughs) well i can tell you this if it wasn't for that one you know all that talk and uh the smack talk going around back in the day um i'd have never considered even going to hunt the worlds but i had a point to prove i guess at that point and yeah and i said you know what it's just another contest man let's go if I got to drive 15 hours to go scout new ground, let's try it and see what happens, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: And, uh, I'm, I'm glad I did it, you know, because hell I probably would have never went to Arizona. You know, I'd have never went into some of that country. Um, so that's been a cool part of it, you know, hunting that, that contest, it made you travel. It forces you to go, you know, look at new country. Um, it just
1: makes you a better coyote hunter. Yeah. It opens horizons. It does make you better hunting a bunch of different places definitely makes you better and you're not the same properties that you know like the back of your hand every single time you go out
0: yeah yeah and i think that's where a lot of contest hunters are at and it's a smart move i mean you have to feel confident in your ground you know like you have to feel like you have a good plan to be successful right like if i'm looking at i'm like man i don't have the ground i just don't think i can compete well yeah why why would you get in it you know yeah um so, most guys, yeah, they have their honey holes, they have their land, they've been saving it, you know for this particular contest, and maybe that's the only contest they hunt because that's the only like guess like you said they they know exactly where they're gonna go sit, they've hunted it before that they know exactly where the coyotes usually always come from, yeah, but putting yourself out, man, I tell you, you know when you go to a brand new spot you've never been to, and you give yourself you know when we went out, we would always go out about four or five days early, yeah, and essentially, we're starting from scratch, I mean, we had some intel we you know, we'd make some phone calls, and we'd have some some pieces of information to help us, you know, get started in the right direction. But really, that was it.
1: It was all, I mean, you did most of the homework. I'll give you credit on that. But it was all phone calls that anybody could make. I mean, it, it wasn't any, like, secret info or anything. It was just people you figured would know. You call them and ask them, and then that leads to another person and so on and so forth.
0: And, and that's just the beginning you know then at that point yeah. we're we're out there on on country that we've never even seen before you yep. know so so we're trying to learn access figure out where what are routes and you know just the most efficient way that we can hunt this you know
1: and uh, coyote and, populations and densities and...
0: yeah trying to figure out where that stuff is and to me i think you know i really saw a jump in I'm going to say, you know, just the the way I looked at coyote hunting just became different at that point, you know, because yeah. I was, I was in the same boat up to that point. I had hunted the same ranches that I'd always hunted and I'd made the same stands. And that was really my first taste of really making myself learn coyote hunting. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I teach that when, when I'm, you know, that's a big part of the schools I do now is you have to understand coyotes like anybody can go out to the same old stands, you know, and but yeah. are you really are are you really learning coyote hunting? Do you really understand why things are happening the way they're happening?
1: No, but
0: when we went down there and we forced ourselves to find stands, find coyotes, you know, work with the different elements, you know, um, you know, you're stuck. That's another thing about contest hunting we get into is like you're forced to hunt in those conditions that day, you know. You ain't cherry. Yep. You ain't cherry picking the most bluebird days to go out and call coyotes on. You know, no. You're learning to hunt in the wind. And sometimes You're learning it's a high deal. Yeah. So that's always been a, a cool part about. It. I think that I'm something that I've always. You know, super glad that I did because it upped it upped the game. You know, for for me anyway.
2: Yeah, and I'm yeah. sure no, you'll no, probably
0: say the same was. thing. You know, to me, it just takes to that next extra level, of of forcing yourself to to really understand what the hell we're doing out there
1: gets you out of your comfort zone. I mean, you take those same guys that hunt the same places year after year and then you go throw them somewhere else or put them in a contest somewhere else. They don't do nearly as good because they don't understand why it was working or what they're looking for. They just know that it works in that spot.
0: Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I need to take a second to tell you about Onyx hunt maps. Now, if you follow this podcast for any amount of time, or specifically our Last Stand YouTube series, you've seen us use this mapping app on our phone a ton, and hopefully we've shown you how, it's, how it benefits us as coyote hunters. Now, millions of hunters have already made this the number one hunting GPS app on the market. It's allowed them to find more game, discover new access, and just hunt smarter. Now, from a coyote hunting specific standpoint it allows me to drop waypoints and save waypoints for specific stand locations it allows me to shoot line distances from stand to stand to ensure that i've went the right distance in between stands that i want to go and as well as just show land ownership as far as private and public so if you're in the market for a new mapping app that's going to help you hunt coyotes smarter you can go to your app store on your phone or you can visit onxmaps.com now Back to the podcast. So, Yep. That's huge, man. To me, that's, I mean, if you're listening to this, to me, that's the, you know, if, you, if you're into progression as a coyote hunter, you know, to me, that's, if, if you're kind of stuck in a rut, to me, that's the next step. Like, yep. you have to force yourself out of your comfort zone, you know, learn to hunt coyotes in different areas that look completely different than what you're used to hunting them in. Yeah. Um, because it forces you to, to learn the game just that much more, man.
1: Exactly. I mean, we've been all over the place and the amount of knowledge and stuff that you see and learn when you're out trying to figure things out on your own. It's like when you first started coyote hunting, I mean, it's, it's no different. You're just taking what you first learned and then you're adding to it over and over and over and over again. And before long, I mean, that's what makes you better is practice repetition and learning and, there's no better way to learn than to go out and relearn it over and over again, somewhere else.
0: No, hundred percent, hundred percent. But then along the way too, you know, I'm sure you have some crazy stories, things that happened, you know, in these oh, yeah. contests, the one thing, the one I always think about when you told me, told me this story is, you know, the cool part about Coyote, it's like, it's like any kind of sport or competition. Like it's not over till it's over kind of a deal. Right. Yep. Yep. You know, t- tell me that story about that contest you're in when you guys were, and knowing you, I'm sure you were pouting pretty good by about the time that, you know, mid afternoon rolled around, but, <laughs> but the tides change just like that.
1: Yeah. That's what I, I tell people that too, all the time. Cause you see people get down, you know, they'll go through the first half of the day and nothing's working and they basically give up. But, I mean, it's not over until you're down to, like, maybe your last hour or two. I mean, if you can't make anything produce that last hour or two, you might be hosed. But um, it was actually for the Kansas Predator Challenge, and it was the – I think it was the second year we ended up winning it. Um, We had killed our first coyote at, like, 11 a.m., and then we killed our second coyote around 1 and then going into, like, the two thirty three 3 o'clock time frame, uh, we ended up going uh, triple, single, double, triple to end the day.
0: <laughs> Not, I mean, nine coyotes about, in the last four stands.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that puts you up there. I mean, you're instantly up there in the top five if you can do that. And I, it's happened a couple other times, too, where I've been in another contest here, a one-day contest, and it was uh, – I think we had three going into the last three stands, and we killed two cripples in the last three stands. And, I mean, that put that won us the contest. Otherwise, we weren't even close. But you just can't give up. I mean, you never know. And there can be always that crazy stand, like where we killed five last year in Arizona. It just takes one of those stands to put you back on pace. And you just got to keep hammering all day long. And I think a lot of people just give up, and they shouldn't.
0: Yeah. It's, it's not over, man. That's for sure. You know, that kind of reminds me of a little bit of of the year we won worlds down in Arizona. Um, You know, we only had what nine coyotes the first day. Yeah. And that was, once again, that was our first year kind of, well, down in that, you know, we, I learned a lot that day. I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just kind of the way the coyotes, I mean, we should have had shit 12, 14 coyotes that day, you know, if if I would have been carrying a shotgun, Um, we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) <laughs> um uh, <laughs> the red dot doesn't always work we'll put it that way you know yeah <laughs> but yeah you know the next morning you know if 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 that's all we had killed we would have we wouldn't even have placed you know
1: yeah
2: but exactly. the next morning
0: i mean what do we go we go i think we went triple single double single like in the first yeah. four stands or something like that
1: yeah it was something.
0: That, i mean that first four stands in the morning that one because I, mean, I think that year we 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 killed eight that second morning yeah. Um, and 14 was second. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we were five behind right then, But, you know, and we killed seven coyotes in those first four stands that ultimately won it for us.
1: Yeah. And especially in those two days, you, you can't worry about what other people get, because if you remember that second place team killed that 14 on the first day. That's exactly right. I do remember that. Yeah, they killed 14 the first day and I don't I don't know if they were telling people the results or if we knew that somebody had 14 or not, but I mean regardless, you got to put that in the back of your head. You can't even think about this stuff like that. You just got to keep going and pounding and grinding them out. Cuz they didn't kill anything the second day. They basically had it won that first day. I mean, they had 14, we had 9 and we ended up coming back and smoking them. Yeah. You know, you and I talk about this a lot. Like to me, those tournaments
0: are won in the second day. I mean, yeah. you know, every, every now and then somebody has just a phenomenal first day and it's over. Like yeah. they're going to, they don't have to, they'd win it with what they killed, but that's very far and few between. Most yeah. of the time it's the teams that have a, it, it always seems like everybody has a good plan for one day, Yeah, but it's, but it's that much harder to come up with a, with another plan for a second day, you yeah. know, like, you just need that much more good ground you need you know you just got to be able to consistently kill more coyotes that you know yeah. longer i mean it's just so yeah it seems like if i look back at all the the contests that that i've been part of winning most of them we've won by you know finishing the contest especially those two day contests you know yeah what what we kill on the second day has been what's what's made the difference
1: yeah, it actually cost us that second world championship when we took second place. I mean, we didn't have it won the first day. We were behind by one. Yep. Come to find out at the end. But I mean, that second day is what won it for them. They killed the same amount as we did that second day. And they were already ahead by one on the first. If we would have just gotten, you know, one or two more. Yeah, it's,
0: well, that's, that's always what makes it fun. But yeah, definitely a big part of it. You got to have a plan. It's, it's, uh, you know, that's why I've always liked, you know, the formats are changing a little bit, um, yeah. you know, like, you know, the this five and five contest to me has always intrigued me a little bit because of the, the strategy um, of it. And, and it makes it to a lot of guys. It sounds easy, yeah. um, you know, but to, if you're not familiar with what a five and five limit is, is, you know, on the first day of the contest, you, you have to kill at least five coyotes. You can kill as many as you want, but you have to at least get that first five killed then Mm -hmm. on the second day you have to kill five more and it's the first team that checks back in with their five and five from both days um is what wins it so yeah it's always that's always intrigued me because okay we want to try to be first so do we hunt close to check in or do we hunt two hours away and now we're we have a two-hour drive yeah i mean to me it's uh it's it's just a cool aspect you know i've always kind of enjoyed it but it's it's way harder than i think what people a lot of people give it credit for
2: yeah.
1: The only thing I don't like about that is the second day. I mean, it once you get to a certain point of killing coyotes, I mean, you can kill coyotes, but it comes down to like coyotes in front of you and that second day it come kind of comes down to whoever has the best ground closest. Which, you know, in public ground, I guess it's probably a little bit better, but if it's all private locked up stuff, it kind of gives an advantage to any locals that are close to the check-in. But
0: yeah, but ultimately I mean that is that's kind of the name of game of contest, isn't it?
1: <laughs> kind of for the most part. I mean, yeah.
0: you know, let's be honest. I mean, not very many hardcore guys are going out there on average ground and winning contests. I mean, no. everybody's that's usually does good has been saving ground. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say that's, that happens every time, but let's just say the majority of the time that's, and that's, what's always different to me. Like if you took it like bass fishing contest versus coyote contest, like, in a fishing contest, everybody's lit. Everybody has to go to that same lake, you know. Yeah. And and they all, coyote contests. It's like, okay, you know, you could win a contest just because you had the most badass, you know, piece of ground out there, and it could be yeah. an average coyote hunter, um, yeah. And maybe you just shot really good that day. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That, that's that's the one thing that's always to me been a little of the downside to coyote hunting is that it, to me the best coyote hunters don't always win. That makes sense.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, you hear it at check in every single contest you're in, and you'll talk to guys that, you know, finish middle of the pack or maybe towards the front. But man, we should have had at least five more. We called in 25 coyotes, we only killed 10, <laughs> yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, oh my God.
2: Or on Give the other hand, you talk to the guys who are
1: like,
0: yeah, we called in six coyotes and we killed them all, you know?
1: Yeah exactly
0: we always wonder was that because you just didn't know what you're doing um and you didn't see the other coyotes or you know i was wonder that too you know you never yeah know, but but you do hear all those all those stories you know yeah yeah they're there <laughs> you know a, a thing the thing i want to get into next is just a little bit on the, the contest mentality you know i get a lot of messages from guys and i don't know if this is just from guys over the years commenting on social media or what it is but i feel like guys that are maybe just getting into contest hunting they feel like they have to do things different you know like like when you get on stand and 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 i'm gonna ask you about it but real quick i'm just gonna kind of say what my mental my mentality is this like when i go out coyote hunting whether it's for a fun hunt whether i'm doing a class a guided hunt a contest it doesn't matter to me i have one goal and that's to kill as many coyotes possible in that given time yeah i mean that's what really that's my goal i, I assume that that was everybody else's goal but maybe it's not but that's Apparently. really the same goal in a contest right
1: yeah exactly
0: so i don't I change the- i don't i don't change anything up and that's what i think people think that we do is you know from from the time i sit my ass down on stand to the time i stand up i really do nothing different than i would on any normal other normal coyote hunting day
2: yeah exactly. it's kind of
0: the stuff in between is where yep. you know we do things maybe a little bit different. Would you, would you agree? Is that kind of what you,
1: yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think any differently at all when I'm fun hunting, sitting down on a stand, unless maybe I think there might be a Bobcat. Maybe I'll give it a few more minutes, but I'm basically giving up at like the seven, eight, nine minute mark. And then hitting pup distress and seeing if anything's going to bust for you that might be hanging up. Other than that, it's the same, same routine, it's just the in-between time, I think, is when you you got to make a difference.
0: So your time on stand, if, if you're fun hunting, if, if your time on stand ranges between 8 to 12 minutes, whatever, yeah. you know, your time on stand for a contest is going to be 8 to 12 minutes.
1: Yeah, I don't change anything.
0: Yeah, see, and I'm the same way. And I, I I think a lot of people think that, oh, they hear these stories about us cranking out 25 stands in a day, Um you know or whatever you know and a lot of that's yeah a lot of that has to do with time on stand but a lot of that has to do with the in-between stuff you know like you know how much are you hustling you know if i'm fun hunting you know we're diddy bopping back to the truck and we're we're shooting the shit around the truck and we're stopping and making a tailgate sandwich you know and you know what i'm saying but like there's when, none of that when it's contest on it's like boom out the door we know exactly where your next stand's going to be yeah. know exactly how we're getting in there you know you have the plan essentially laid out the entire day of, of how you're going to do because you know let's just i like to put math to a lot of things like this so you just do let's just do some simple math if you're going to try to get in 18 stands a day if you can save four minutes a stand let's just say four minutes that's not a lot yeah. you know walking in and out getting to your next stand that's that's probably not. Uh, you could probably save even more than that. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, if making eighteen stands times four, I mean, hell, we're looking at an hour right there, or more of time.
2: You yeah. know,
0: which means that's two more stands you could potentially get in at the end of the day. So instead of eighteen stands, you're going to get in twenty or twenty-one stands. Yep. Which, from your earlier story, you know, you know, at the end of the day, that may make the difference between a you know losing by one or winning by one.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's not really that hard to get to 20 stands a day. I mean, you got basically right now you got 10 hours of daylight, maybe even more. But if you can get in two an hour, you're on that pace. And if you're only calling 10 minutes a spot, I mean, that's 20 minutes out of 60 that you're calling. if you can't find a way to cut that down, I mean, usually you can get in two and a half stands an hour pretty easy. I mean, that gets you to 25. That's pretty typical. And that's including drive time. It, it all comes down to the game plan, mapping it out and then sticking to it. You can't be him honing around. You can't be like sitting in the truck talking about where you're gonna go next and arguing about stuff and second guessing yourself. You gotta just, you know, keep cranking out stands.
0: Yeah, that's a huge part. I mean, it's it's a numbers game. It always is, you know. Yeah. Coyote hunting just in general is about probabilities, it's about you know the you can't kill you know the probabilities of you killing 10 coyotes in a day making 12 stands is not near as good as you killing 10 coyotes in a day making 18 stands you know exactly so exactly yeah i mean it's it's to me it's always been a numbers game and probabilities and looking at all that kind of stuff and um but then i think two is back to the time on stand which i think a lot of people struggle with they don't quite understand that that they feel that the only way that they can get in that many stands is by shortening their stand times. Yeah. You know, not thinking about all the stuff in between. That's really where you're making up the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. And hustling. I mean, when you shoot one, you can't be just. I I always try to run over to it or jog over to it and at least hustle and drag it back quick and. Oh, that's was the back truck in your and the days. One. Hell, you're forty now. Oh you no, know. come on. I you was running with that. them i was running with them just this last <laughs> saturday
0: oh uh, well you're out there in that flat kansas farm ground just you know come on this oh whatever your butt out into the hills right here and have you drag them up a few sand hills and see that see that you everywhere. got
1: hills but you ain't got no cover <laughs> oh that's you true. gotta fight through <laughs> with two guns on your back while dragging a 30 pound coyote
0: our problem is we're shooting them out there at 150 200 yards right so yeah. we got a
1: longer drag you're just killing them right at the call with the shotgun so true very true (laughs) that's
0: faster there you go that's
1: efficiency i know how you work and i know you're driving out to them hey
0: see that's saving time man efficiency that's a good thing about stuff we hunt too we can just off-road it right out to them see that and that's where the plan is like that like you know when we're hunting some of this pasture country that we have you know we're we're accessible with a vehicle you know yeah as soon as we shoot one one guy's jumping up and heading back to the truck right away yeah and basically then the other guy's grabbing the call getting out to the coyote boom truck right out to the coyote loading it up and yep. phew, right on to the next one you know yeah there's different different ways of of doing it but it's kind of the same same mentality
1: yeah, yeah he, in my opinion it's just game plan
0: you know i know we spend a lot of time and on a and on an average day of fun hunting you know i don't do that you know i don't sit down and write out stands and try to figure out to make sure what we're doing but you know i know no what you know what you and i did at worlds is you know we would line out you know we knew that what the time was for the daylight hours that we're gonna have to hunt and we just said okay let's let's try to get in 24 stands or whatever it would be so we actually had 24 stands and i remember you and i we would sit down the piece of paper and we would name the stands you know so we knew exactly what stands we were talking about give it some stupid little name and but then you know you always you always we were always trying to say, okay, what kind of route can we pick through there? Because we want to be efficient. We don't want to have to be driving the truck back and forth and all over the place. Yeah. But we also wanted a plan where maybe some of the stands that we thought were going to be the most efficient or the or the most productive, we knock those out maybe the first six or seven stands of the morning just because that's usually the more productive time of day because the coyotes are up moving and, and things like yeah. that. And then we picked four or five stands that, Hey, these are the ones we want to finish the day on because of the same aspect, just maybe the way that the stand laid out. Um, you know, we felt like they were going to be more productive, whatever. Yeah. And then we had this big chunk in the middle part of the day. And I think that's where guys struggle anyway. Yeah. But contest hunting, you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to continue to kill coyotes during that middle part of the day to some extent, I think.
2: Yeah. You to got me, That's it, where because- you're
0: making up ground on teams. Everybody's killing them in the morning and late in the afternoon because the wind's usually less. But if you can kill those coyotes in that middle part of the day, I think that's where you start You start leapfrogging teams.
1: Oh, yeah. yep. Yeah. And they'll come. I mean, there's no difference. There is a difference. So in the morning and the afternoons and the evenings, they might be on their feet more just because they're coming in from wherever they were all night messing around, you know, whatever they're active They they might be laid up during the day, but if you get in there where they're laid up, they're going to come no different than they would have in the morning or evening. You just got to be where the coyotes are in the middle of the day.
0: Yeah. I think that's where a lot of guys struggle. I think everybody, everybody can look at a stand and I call them transition area stands, like those early morning stands. Like yeah. if you just looked at a coyote stand, you're like, Oh, this looks great. More than likely. It's one of those transition area stands
2: and yeah.
0: guys will make those early in the morning. Cause that's what they know. And they have yeah. luck killing coyotes. And I think they continue to make those same looking stands all day long.
2: Yeah.
0: Instead of, like you said, making that transition to say, okay, now I need to find out where these coyotes are laid up at. Yeah. And I'm and not going to, I, th- I got to get in tight where they're going to be. Um. It just, you got to be able to change that.
1: Yeah. And I think you and I are a lot the same in our first, our first and last stands of the day. I mean, it's kind of a wild card in my opinion, I feel like you can hunt just about anywhere you want to hunt. If you think it's decent, but not great, that's probably a good spot for the first stand. I mean, you don't need to be in the, the thickest stuff you got right off the bat in the first stand. You can get one of those that you think is like a 50-50 just because the coyotes are probably going to be more out there. It'll probably be better percentages than that, in my yep. opinion.
0: And sometimes, too, for me, it, it my first stand is dictated by my route even sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's a it's it's weighing the odds. Okay. Like let's say I got one really good stand that I think that's gonna be very productive, the first stand of the morning, but it's it's six miles from where I want to kind of jump in and make a, a route through the day, you know. Yeah. Okay. Do I want to give up that, you know, fifteen minutes of driving time or do I just want to save that? Maybe it fits into my route better later in the day. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of that game planning going on as well.
1: Yeah. I it's usually always I mean, most contest hunters are going to try to get a wide open stand in the first thing or maybe the last one you can, I don't know about you, but I've sat down right there shooting light and had coyotes come in first thing and it's, it can be kind of tricky. Yeah.
0: That's, I learned that lesson a long time ago. Like don't hit, (laughs) don't hit play until you know, you can see because there's nothing worse than calling in a coyote and screwing it up because it was too dark. And you're like, damn it. If we just waited 10 minutes. A coyote yep. would have still been there.
2: Exactly. So we'd have killed
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but everybody gets antsy, you know.
2: Oh yeah. Go I gotta,
0: gotta start
1: killing. <laughs> gotta walk in right before shooting time and then right at shooting time hit play. And then the coyotes there in 30 seconds, and you don't know, you can't get it in your scope or whatever else is wrong. You know, a thing I've done also that first stand of the day is is
0: like you said, not very rarely do i like am i like oh that's exactly where we're gonna go i have a lot of options you know and you maybe have the same way like i could make any one of these stands for the first stand of the morning yeah but you know sometimes i'll do a little howling um yeah you know we did that action that world the the year we won the worlds that very first stand of the morning we were that sitting in that same boat you know we were driving up that road and we had options we're like okay i don't know and we stopped and let out a howl and that whole group of coyotes howled right back in that little valley and we're like okay guess where we're making our first stand of the morning you know yep exactly 15 20 minutes later we were on stand right there shooting coyotes and so that's another option people can try too is you know let out some howls when driving down the road and try to get an idea of where the coyotes are at and that might even give you a game plan for your first two or three or four stands in the morning you know honestly if uh
1: yeah two two hours from then those coyotes might not be in that same area too that's the other advantage yeah they, they definitely could move out of there that's for sure
0: any other t- any other thing like let's just say somebody's listened to this podcast and they could give two shits about coyote contests but yeah. but they're thinking how can i use this same mentality to help me kill more
1: coyotes just on a regular basis anything you
0: can think of you want to add to this
1: I I would recommend hunting new areas like we've already touched on that but when we're talking about the difference between contest stands and fun stands when I'm doing fun stands I want it to be something new I don't want to hunt something I've already seen before like get out and find somewhere new and call it it'll just make you a better caller in general I think plus it's more fun I mean it's getting repeat you know that repetitive thought process of going into a new spot Setting up your stand, figuring out where you think the coyotes are going to come from—you do that enough, it, it's going to help you a lot in the long run, whether you're contest hunting or not.
0: Oh, for sure, hundred percent. For me, I think it's it's probably the killing side of things. I mean, yeah, you know, being efficient at killing coyotes is extremely important when you're contest hunting. You know, oh yeah. I mean, and I think that's—I think a lot of guys struggle with that as well. I think a lot of guys call in coyotes—they don't kill a lot of them you know and whether it's whether it's something as simple of just missing not being a very good shot because you haven't practiced on your swagger bipod or whatever you're shooting off of, you know you're just not comfortable with it you know it may be something even you know as simple as just your setups you know where you set up just tweaking it enough to give yourself you know a higher percentage shot at those coyotes um, yep. whether you're hunting big open country and you're sitting way up at the top of a highest hill and the coyotes are skylining you out there at 200, 250 yards and checking up, and you're and you're giving yourself those far shots as opposed to getting down off the skyline and now you're giving yourself hundred yard shots, or you know, who knows? So, something very simple like that could be the answer to to giving yourself higher probability shots. But to me, that's where I think, you know, just getting good at killing coyotes, um, pride yourself on, hey every coyote that came in died. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like not, exactly. not laughing that, uh, you know, half the coyotes got away cause we couldn't hit them.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody should want to do that or think it's even funny. And I, I get pissed if I'm ever like that. It's been a long time since I've been like that, but <laughs> I mean, there's going to be a coyote here or there that's going to get away, but you should always strive to be at least shooting a hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Don't, it sounds simple, you know, you can hit yeah. a out, but man, when it happens fast and and you're not real familiar with your equipment, you know it goes yeah. downhill real fast.
1: Oh yeah, real quick. <laughs>
0: Last thing I want to touch on here is kind of kind of the evolution of contests and kind of what it seems like. There for a while, it seemed like contests were kind of dying out, you know. And it it you know some like the contests you and I have talked about already. Like my contest is no longer the Midwest is no longer. You know, it seems like there's new ones. The Kansas predator challenge you talked about is no longer, Yeah. um, you know, the, the world has changed format now and changed hands. So it's, it's kind of, you know, not what it was. The nationals kind of went away. They kind of brought it back, but it's not what it was. It seems to me like the, the Midwest and East is like 10 years behind what maybe the West was in the contest scene. Like, yeah. They're booming. You know, it seems like now East, like everybody out east in the Midwest wants to do contests now.
1: Oh, there's one every weekend. You know,
0: but the Western, it's kind of died out. I think you still have your hardcore guys that want to do them, but you know, they're changing. The way the way things are done now, it's like everything's, you know, that's a lot of 24 hour contests now. Yeah. You know, appealing to more of the guys in the thermal game, you know, that yeah. that want to go compete and shoot coyotes at night.
1: A lot of uh, the heaviest heaviest three heaviest five
0: yeah or even just lightest three i i saw a post the other day it was a contest you could go shoot as many as you wanted to but the lightest three coyotes of your stringer won it (laughs) it,
1: yeah i think it was colton wasn't it
0: yeah yeah it's pretty much pretty much gambling at that point yeah they Uh, shot
1: 20 some and they they didn't even place because they didn't have any light ones
0: (laughs) yeah you know, so yeah, it's just, I think that's what contests are coming from. They're We're trying to keep people involved, which I think is extremely important. I think I want contests to be around where my boys, you know, another 10 years from now and they get, you know, all sawed up that they want to go sh- show their dad how good they are at coyote hunting, you know, that they can go compete in a contest, you know, I, I, so I yeah. hope contests stay around, but you know, I think they are having to change a little bit to keep the numbers
1: up. Yeah. It's kind of an evolution, too. I mean, they'll start off. They won't be that big. You know, That people see the payout. They start entering. It starts building. You'll get up to 80 to 100 teams, and then the big dogs start getting into it, and then they're killing 10 a day, and about half those teams the next year after they start seeing double digits are like, well, we can't even compete with that. So then your teams start dying off, and then they'll come up with rules about three heaviest, three biggest, whatever,
0: try to keep those numbers up you and know. and then so try to get them back wants to compete because they have a it chance. It just doesn't
1: ever seem like it comes back up though. No, I it doesn't. It doesn't. The ones that start off, like there's the good one here yeah. in Greensburg, the ones that start off with having the heaviest right off the bat. I think those are the ones that end up keep growing, do good steady. I think people get a bad taste in their mouth when they shoot, four or five and think they had a good day, which is a pretty good day. You know, one day contest used to be one with five a lot, but when you start getting 10 to 15 coyotes turned in in one day, I think they get a bad taste in their mouth. But
0: yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, you, you talk about the numbers game. I just had a guy out on a hunt from Oklahoma and he, they do quite a few contests down there. Mm
2: -hmm. And he
0: was like, Jeff, he said, the game, I don't understand the game's changing. He's like, it, it takes 10, 11 coyotes now to win a, win a, win a day hunt, you know, yeah. It used to win it with six or seven. Yeah. You know, and is it, you know, is it that us as coyote hunters just with the technology with e-calls and suppressors and, you know, just the knowledge that's out there now, like whether it's a podcast like this or videos or whatever, guys are just getting better quicker. Um, or is it, you know, guys are finding better ways to cheat. I, You know, there's a hundred theories out there. What what do you think? Why why are we seeing these bigger numbers, you know, in, in a lot of these contests?
1: I think it's a lot of the, everything you just ha- said, I think the technology is greater. The e-caller sounds are better. So you're calling in coyotes better. I think people are technology in general, like hearing podcasts like this, hopefully it's making people better, but I mean, that also makes competition better. And then precision shooting, I don't know if I can remember guys talking about precision shooting back in the early 2000s, like coyote hunters talking about it. And now you can go like those Oklahoma ones, you go to the check-in and there's, you know, at least 10 guys that are like well known for precision shooting. So they're able to smoke them out there 400, 500, 600 yards. Like it's nothing, you know, whereas the average guy is not going to be able to do that at all. And then it, I think just competition breeds competition. You know, you start wanting to get more and more and more, and people start killed seven or eight, and you know, you need more than that. You start sticking your game plans, you know, getting them better and better. And, and that's how we got better. But yeah, now it's like the Oklahoma ones, especially. I mean, you're lucky to be top three with 10 now. I mean, struggling. Like last weekend with my buddy Kyle, we killed 11, and there was two other teams that killed 11. So there was a three-way tie for first with 11 coyotes in one day, and it was shitty, rainy, bad weather. It was pretty impressive. but It yeah, is. It's just tough, especially down there. You get higher populations of coyotes. I don't know. I think there's just a lot of factors that go into it.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know. I you know, another thing too, I, I technology has helped with is is to prevent cheating, you know? Yeah. And that's a big part of coyote contests. I I mean, I think you're naive to think that there's not cheating going on in these contests, whether it's teams shooting them off of dead pits, maybe even though, you know, I mean, maybe it doesn't have that in the rules, maybe it is a rule but you know, just whacking coyotes off of that, what, you know, whatever they're doing, but technology has helped that, you know, there's always been polygraphs for some of these contests, but you know, the, the fact that you have phones now and phones do video and, and, you know, doing things like that. I I think that helps a lot as opposed to just hey, it's a free for all go out there. Here's the rule sheet. Hope you follow the rules because we know that doesn't happen. No, Um, you know, there's always going to be those guys that are out there to win some money and and they're going to try to, and then they're like, Oh, it's just a coyote. Who cares? You know? yeah uh, how we're killing them but uh yeah i think that also helps a lot that the technology side to help you know keep these as fair as possible and you just hope that guys are just legit you know like yeah you just just do it the right way you know it's it's yeah it's just a contest we're out there with a bunch of killers just like you you know and, i think and hopefully the real guy the the real deal does win that day
1: I think the the difference is the guys that are just doing it for the money. They see, you know, what they can win when they win that contest and they're in it for the money instead of competing in it to compete. I think anybody that's in it to compete would feel like a piece of shit if they're cheating. You know, oh, you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't want to hang your hat on that win. I, at least I wouldn't. No. I don't I don't think anybody that's competitive or any of my friends that I've met through contests, I don't think any of those guys would be proud if they were cheating for that win. It's just not worth it, but there's the people that are in it for the money. And I think that's what screws it up.
0: Yeah. And, and back to your number, the numbers game too, you know, like you as a promoter of a contest and me being on that end, you know, promoters put out a lot of time and effort to, to line up sponsors and get door prizes and organize everything and then line up people to help them and, you know, come up with all this stuff. And it takes the, the more, hoops that the teams have to jump through like temp checks and videos that that's even more time and effort that it takes on the promoter's part to do all that yeah so as a promoter it's easier to just say i just go out and kill coyotes and i'm gonna i'm gonna take your money and i'm gonna sell these coyotes and i'm gonna do whatever so i I hope people understand that, that that do a little research into these contests and say okay it's easy for somebody to say i'm gonna put on a coyote contest but really look okay what what kind of effort are they gonna put into it as far as prevent the cheating Yeah, you know, and all that kind of stuff, because to me, that's the type of contest that I want to get into where really has the best chance of the best coyote team that day is going to win, not the team that cheated the best.
1: Yeah, Um, you got to at least do videos at the very least. I mean, it's pretty simple, but yeah.
0: Yeah, and then it's still a numbers game, you know, as a promoter, you know, it you're not going to jump through all this hoops and donate all your time to do this for 12 teams to show up, you know. Yeah. Uh, so but in order to to get 30, 40, 50 teams to where the pots are where they want to be to where you get the teams that want to come because it's a, hey, you know, hey this is this is going to have pretty good payout, you know, it's worth saving yeah. my ground for whatever. You know, you need those numbers, but at the end of the day I've always thought, you know, roughly maybe 15 to 20% tops of the teams yeah. in a contest are have a legit chance. Yeah. You know, the other 75 or 80% of what I call filler teams, donating teams that just, in order to get big, big numbers like, you know, 150, whatever, you have to have a bunch of those donators. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be, you know, 100% true killers in a contest.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, take, I for example, that West Texas Big Bobcat contest, you know, probably from a sheer number standpoint, it's the biggest one out there. I mean, what is there, 600 teams usually getting that thing?
2: yeah ridiculous but you have, number
0: but you have maybe 50 of those teams show back up to check in you know so yeah. um with with contenders you know bobcats or you know trying to win the most coyotes or most gray fox you know so yeah. so yeah it's 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 an interesting deal i hope like i said i hope they don't go away i hope they're around for forever and and hopefully you'll you know if you listen to this and haven't done them you might put together a game plan and go give it a try you know
1: yeah i think i think one of the Real, real quick, I think one of the ones that sticks out in my head that kept numbers high was one that had ridiculous payout for side pots. And it was the Bethany, Missouri one. I don't know if you remember hearing about that one. I do, one. yeah. Three to four hundred teams. I mean, ridiculous amount of teams. And the side pots paid out like four to five thousand apiece. And they did like big male, little male, big female, little female. And those those side pots, I think, are what drew in even more filler teams. You know, they didn't care that they couldn't kill four or five in a day. They were just after, you know, hey, if I kill one, I might win 5000 yeah, bucks. So it had the money out. aspect plus, you know, the participation aspect. You know, everybody can go out and kill one cow and have a chance at $5,000. And I think that's the only one that sticks out in my head where numbers stayed high no matter what. And I think the main pot still paid out five or 6,000, but you know, it was almost as much as the side pots. So I think that's the only one I saw numbers actually stay up. Yeah. That's, that is interesting. Cause it appeals to
0: everybody. You know, it appeals yep. to your, your guys that are going out to, to try to win the whole thing, but it also appeals to just the guy that's like,
2: yeah,
0: let's go out and have fun and bounce around and see if we can kill one coyote. Cause we could maybe get the big one, yeah. and win five grand, you know,
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but well buddy you got uh you got a few contest prizes still coming up
1: uh, done- i got one, more. one, one yeah. more yeah yep i've done three weekends in a row so far and then i got one not this weekend but next weekend the north canadian one down in Oklahoma, which we won last year so we gotta go back and defend
0: oh yeah we have got to go defend you know yeah exactly
1: <laughs> yeah well good luck back to back champs
0: sounds pretty good you know hopefully you
1: can pull it yeah. off Hopefully, hopefully they do a Calcutta this year. They didn't do one last year, but yeah, well, it's
0: a one. I hope good they do because then. then somebody's going to run your ass up. I hope, you know, Yeah, probably that's pay. the, that's the price of being a champion, man. You got to pay in the
1: Calcutta. Yeah, there's there's no buyout on that one either. Ooh. So Ooh, uh, Yeah. Bring your checkbook. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> it's a, it's a tough one. I like that one. It, I think the last three years, it's been 15 they do a point system, but it's been 15 points, and usually it's 15 coyotes. But I think last year we killed 14 and one fox, and we tied with two other teams and ended up winning by weight. But it's Thank a tough know. one. I mean, if you if you don't kill 12-plus predators, you're not in the top three, so, which is pretty crazy to think for one day. Yeah, but that's a pile,
0: especially late in the season like this.
1: That's the world we live in now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, appreciate your time, man. Yeah. Always yeah, fun was... having you on here. And uh, yeah, hopefully everybody got some good tips and stories and stuff on this one. I think I think it's a good one.
1: Yeah. Hopefully it helped out. Just not too much for people I'm competing against. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I didn't make you
0: spill too many of your secrets. Yeah. All, all the right. secret sounds. At least yeah. you didn't bring up the secret sounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff good stuff <clears throat> well i want to thank everybody for listening to this episode hope you enjoyed it um if you are listening on on spotify you know giving it a five-star rating goes a long way man i'd really appreciate that uh you know we have some great sponsors that help make this podcast possible and that's really what they look at you know they're not unfortunately not listening to all these podcasts they just don't have the time so uh it's easy analytics for them to look in to see how this podcast is doing and how it's performing it's really what has made this the number one predator predator hunting podcast out there so really thank you guys uh, for listening and and giving that rating it goes a long way but like i said without our sponsors this wouldn't be possible so i need to thank all them we have lucky duck predator calls six hour optics black rifle coffee company Hornady, cryptech swagger bipods and onyx hunt and of course gotta thank Eastman's for putting this all together. Um, it's probably too late now, but I'm actually heading out to the big uh, Western hunt expo, uh, in Salt Lake city. So, uh, like I said, this is probably going to be posted after that, or maybe the same day that, uh, you know, the show's going on. So if you're in the area, come by and say hi, but, uh, but but big thanks to Eastman for putting this all together. So until next time, I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll catch you right here on Eastman's predator pros podcast.